We would like to advise that the following program may contain real news, occasional philosophy, and ideas that may offend some listeners. So, what are we talking about this week? The epic, epic Apple battle has come to a at least interim conclusion. I'd like to say an epic finale, but it is a conclusion that will be most likely appealed. And that we actually don't have that much to say about because back in September of, of last year, September 2020, we did this entire episode, this fortnight, the epic, epic Apple battle, where we kind of unpacked what it would come down to. And we basically said it would come down to how the judge defines the market. This is how it played out in the end. While some news outlets reported that Epic had won an important, at least part of the battle, on closer inspection, this is really a resounding victory for Apple because Apple was found not to have a monopoly, which is what Epic wanted to prove. The important deciding factor was, as you said, figuring out what the market is and whether or not Apple had a monopoly in that market. And the judge basically, in the end, came down neither on the side of Apple nor on the side of Epic, but took a position that very much favors Apple in the end. And basically, the judge disagreed with Apple that the market is digital gaming in general. So Apple had argued that the market should be not just Apple and Android, but also consoles and PCs, and hence it didn't have a, a monopoly. So basically, anywhere that people could play Fortnite or access Epic's products. And then Epic had argued that, well, there's basically a mobile phone market and in there, there's only iOS and Android. And on the iOS, there's basically just Apple. Hence, Apple had a monopoly in the iOS distribution market. So Epic was saying that the relevant market should just be the Apple App Store. And the judge did not go along with this. But the judge ruled that the relevant market was the mobile game market, so games on mobile devices, as a distinct market from like the general digital games market that would include consoles and PCs, but also as a distinct market from just the iOS market. And in saying that, the digital games, the mobile games market, Apple would not have a monopoly position. Even though it has a little over 50% of the market, there was not sufficient evidence that it has a monopoly position. And uh, Recode actually put it <laughs> quite nicely and bluntly by saying, it's hard to prove that Apple is a monopoly when the judge's definition of the market also includes its competitors. Meaning there is also Android and Google and consumers do have a choice of where they get their apps, where they access Epic's products on a mobile device. And hence, it's not a monopoly. So overall, a win for Apple, but one small win for Epic, who will no doubt appeal this ruling. So we will keep an eye on this. But one small win for Epic for now is... It's just a change that Apple had already made a few weeks ago, which is to allow developers to point to alternative ways of paying for their products outside of the App Store. So while consumers will still be able to pay for in-app 
purchases within an app, within the App Store. Developers can also include a link now and point users to a website where they can make payments. So a very small concession, something that Apple pretty much anticipated and had already implemented. In other news, we do have to mention the Roomba story, don't we? Yeah, absolutely. This is some real innovation. Image recognition, artificial intelligence, robotics, all coming together in your very own uh, Roomba, the self-driving vacuum cleaner? What are we calling <laughs> The self-driving vacuum cleaner. My, my parents have on full disclosure. And this is the Washington Post uh, reporting. That's how important this news is. I think we're both shying away here from being the one to share it. Um, well, this uh, battery of new technologies that have found their way into this cleaning robot, and the company calls the Roomba the thoughtful collaborative cleaning partner, is there to basically avoid shit. That is uh, pet poop, which seems to be causing a lot of problems. Yeah, and shame this is a podcast. No, we wouldn't show it to you, but we want to appeal to your imagination to think about what happens when a Roomba encounters pet feces and rather than just cleaning it up, smears it all over the house. So this important problem that pet owners encounter, which you can only imagine the cleanup afterwards is a kind of a, a bit shit, is now being solved via image recognition locating the problem, uh, photographing it, sending it to its owner's uh, smartphone, and then basically cordoning off the area virtually and avoiding touching the object in question. And your question rightly could be at this point, why? Why the Roomba? Why talk about the Roomba? And there's a number of reasons. First, just the sheer amount of machine learning, image recognition, and other technology that goes into this small device. I mean, it is a self-driving device that avoids things around your house. There's also the privacy aspect. We actually covered this Roomba back in 2017 in, in one of our first podcasts in an episode around spying vacuums that was looking at the fact that the Roomba, as it goes around cleaning your house, actually collects a lot of data about the layout of your home, which then can be sold to other companies, whether that's real estate providers, or people looking to provide other services for your house and that it's quite scary because no one reads the, I'm fairly sure my parents didn't read the privacy agreements for the Roomba and the ways in which that data could be then used by third parties to sell you anything from a different house, a real estate agent who could tell you how you could be better served by a different property to Amazon selling you air conditionings to other companies just telling you how to spend money on better lighting or other devices that would optimize the layout of your home. And this device not only maps your home's layout now, it also comes now with uh, sensors and a camera to basically look around the floor to, you know, watch out for shit. The company says that the algorithm will not capture anything that looks like a face, be it in a photograph or, you know, actual human faces. And there's all kinds of security in place and safety and privacy. But it is nonetheless one more device that runs around your home with a camera. But the interesting aspect for me was also how they actually trained the device. So they built more than a hundred props that looked like turds, basically, to 
train the computer vision system. And it was also then deployed to the Roomba employees to test it uh, in the field to constantly update uh, the self-learning algorithm to make it better at, you know, recognizing shit in all its glory. There's two more links that would be remiss if we didn't make now because, you know, a Roomba encountering these things and not being able to distinguish them and then dragging that shit all around your house <laughs> really speaks to the uh, topic of our new series, to the Unlearned Project, how um, automation is coming to make our lives just a little bit more shit. It's actually the <laughs> new episode out in our other series, um, looking at how automation, we're looking at cognitive work, you know, everything from, from tech workers to bankers, lawyers, and so on. But looking at how automation really leads to more stressful work, uh, higher intensity work. And so robots are just coming to make your life a little bit harder. The Roomba reminds me of that. So, uh, you know, head over to our other channel, the Unlearned Project, and um, find out how AI and automation can make work a little bit more stressful and hear from pilots and lawyers and rideshare drivers and Kickstarters and all that. But it also reminds me of a, one of our favorite episodes when um, we spoke about the um, swearing Roomba. Remember that guy, Michael Reeves? <laughs> Who trained the Roomba to basically swear whenever it hit an obstacle. Can you imagine what that Roomba would say when it rides over a pile of turd? <laughs> <laughs> I can, because I actually, I, I think we had it encountering something similar. There was audio to that effect. To help kids understand like empathy. Mm -hmm. And like how some people in life have it worse than you. Exactly. See how that made you feel bad? But I think that's enough with that. We found an interesting story in the Financial Times that surprised us, which has to do with the fact that many people in Gen Z getting their financial advice on TikTok. Finfluencer, Fintalk, and getting your investment advice and your finances sorted on TikTok. Let's do this. From the University of Sydney Business School, this is Sydney Business Insights, an initiative that explores the future of business. And you're listening to The Future This Week, where Sandra Peter and Kai Rima sit down every week to rethink and unlearn trends in technology and business. They discuss the news of the week, question the obvious, and explore the weird and the wonderful. So our story today comes from the Financial Times. It's titled, TikTok offers investors both sense and nonsense. And it's a fairly long read that goes into the interesting world of young people getting their financial advice from places like YouTube, but even more significantly on TikTok. And it's probably worth reminding people what TikTok is. So TikTok is a social media platform that revolves around the sharing of short user-generated videos of between 15 seconds and three minutes in length. And the platform just recently increased the limit from 60 seconds to three minutes. But most videos are still really very short. And we've had a couple of episodes unpacking TikTok and what happens on TikTok. And we'll include all the links in the show notes. But suffice to say for now that TikTok, as you've said, is a social media company. It's owned by China's ByteDance. And it features very, very short videos which are presented to users not based on their social graph, but rather 
on what the algorithm deems as engaging. And there's everything there from lip syncing videos to challenges to memes, politics. Uh, when we discussed the election, we discussed how a surprising number of young people get their political news from TikTok. But it turns out there's a lot more than that happening. Hence, Finfluencers. So the Financial Times reports that TikTok plays a big role in how young people, and the data is from the UK here, have taken up investing, especially during COVID when people were stuck in the house and wanted new things to do, saying that about one-sixth of British youth between 18 and 23 years old have started investing for the first time. Half of those invest in crypto assets. More than half of them draw on TikTok for that advice. And as you said, the article is from the Financial Times and it talks about the UK Gen Z, Gen Zers. But we'll include in the show notes a link to an article in the Wall Street Journal that looks at Gen Z getting their career advice on TikTok and reflects on American audiences as well. And we'll also include a link from the Sydney Morning Herald looking at TikTok influencers and the scrutiny that they draw here in Australia. And we also found another study commissioned by the website Go Banking Rates, which questioned 1,000 Americans in the age between 18 and 24, which found that nearly 40% of those said that they were getting financial advice from social media platforms such as TikTok. So not just a UK phenomenon, but something that exists more broadly. So first, let's unpack what Finfluencers are and what kinds there are. And then let's have a bit of a look at the so what. What happens on this platform? What the implications are for everything from kind of actual advice to regulation, to trust, to how we think about education? Because this world of Finfluencers is actually quite varied, right? There's good, there's bad, there's the beautiful and the ugly. There's those who you know, discovered saving and budgeting, who come with prudent advice for how to set aside some money to build a nest egg. They explain compound interest and how much you can earn for later in life or for that down payment for a house or for a car by being savvy with your finances. And then there's the other side of that spectrum as well. On the other side of the spectrum, there's a lot of people promoting more questionable products and initiatives or engaging in pump and dump, trying to get people to buy certain stocks so that they can then unload them at the higher prices or really just promoting various types of scams. And especially in crypto with so-called altcoins, alternative coins that don't have a lot of liquidity. If you can convince a few thousand people to buy the coin and you bought it at a low price yourself, you can actually make quite a bit of money. So there's evidence that a fair bit of that is going on among Finfluencers. So across the board, a fairly mixed bag. So why are we talking about this really? And first off, you know, reminding people that when we're talking 30, 40%, that's a significant number of young people getting their financial advice from platforms like TikTok or indeed YouTube in a way that they never did before. So it's worth unpacking what's actually going on. So there's the trust aspect. Many of the people in this generation say that they do not trust traditional investment bankers. People in suits were described as 
crooks in the Financial Times article. Whereas getting advice from peers on platforms like TikTok carries way more trust and is therefore more readily taken on board. And it's worth reminding here that some of these people are actually sponsored by traditional financial institutions who basically pay them to promote certain services or products. And that should be disclosed, but in many cases isn't. And that ranges across the board from companies like MasterCard, which was mentioned over legitimate apps for social investing, to the more questionable products and financial schemes that might not be regulated in the countries where it's then being advertised on TikTok. But unscrupulous practices aside, there is a legitimate space here for investment education that is also entertaining, albeit very short form. There likely are many concepts that you can't really explain in a 15 second to three minute video. But nonetheless, there is a significant educational component to this. The article makes the point that many young people might not get the kind of financial literacy in school or indeed at home. So people who on the one hand, share their own learning, share their own investment journey, their own experiences on TikTok might actually be a legitimate way to learn yourself into a prudent investment strategy and to start saving early and engage with investments early in life. The point is also made that it can bring along non-traditional groups, uh, minorities, for example, or those who are interested in social investing. So there are good sides to engaging people on TikTok around financial products. But it also points to this fracturing of the understanding of where people get their financial information from. And this is both in kind of a family setting where parents of teenagers or young people who are just setting out on their investment journeys are really completely unaware that much of this financial education occurs on platforms like TikTok or YouTube and might not be able to advise people on, you know, prudent practices like you would go about in just the traditional ways in which we get our financial advice. Similarly, if you're looking at high school education or even higher education, very few people consider a platform like TikTok when thinking about how people develop their understanding of financial markets or saving decisions, investment decisions in the long term. But it also comes with the inherent challenge that it is not easy to distinguish between the good advice and the bad advice on TikTok if you don't have some kind of financial literacy already. So in this mix of all kinds of advice, it's not easy for young people to make those distinctions. And the danger is also that many of those young people have now been introduced to the share market and the crypto market in times during COVID when the direction of those investments was mostly upwards. So many people have a positive experience making lots of money very quickly with altcoins and crypto and even with shares in the tech sector in the US, which after this steep dive at the beginning of the pandemic have continuously gone up. So extrapolating from this past year for many might not lead to prudent investment when the direction reverses and the markets go into more choppy waters. 
And here is where we have to point out the regulation angle in Australia, as well as in the UK or in the US, in any of the markets that these articles refer to. There is significant financial services regulation in Australia. One needs to hold an Australia financial services license and therefore agree to comply with requirements to act honestly, efficiently and fairly towards investors and those they give out advice to. And so far, none of these Finfluencers fall under the requirements to have an Australian financial services license. So there can be people who just do not have the training or the ability to provide good advice. There is the chance of them misleading audiences in the information that they provide. And then there's also the opportunity for manipulating markets, which we've seen not only on platforms like TikTok and YouTube, but we've also seen with the GameStop saga of earlier this year, back in March 2021, when people on a Reddit forum on a subreddit called Wall Street Bets, which were a group of traders actually pumped up the stock of the video game retailer, which went up tens of percent with no apparent reason whatsoever. And similarly, in that situation, and in that case, the Securities and Exchange Commission was unable to really legally prosecute the case, given that financial services licenses and other regulation in the space does not yet have a way of accounting for these ad hoc forms of organizing on platforms like TikTok or in that case, uh, Reddit. We'll include the link in the show notes. And since this type of investing is more and more a social phenomenon on Reddit, much like on TikTok, regulators are now faced with a new phenomenon that is very hard to regulate and very hard to come to grips with. And so, again, this points to the role of platforms. Are platforms just containers in which behavior happens and they are not responsible? Or do they have the obligation to moderate? How will regulators distinguish between the platform and the influencers? Will there be distinctions between, you know, just people sharing their experiences, those that are being sponsored, those that are already celebrities? So it remains to be seen how regulators who are now becoming increasingly aware of this phenomenon will deal with the influence that Finfluencers wield, especially in smaller markets like that of some of the crypto coins. And so a number of reasons there for you to keep an eye on what's happening with Finfluencer and also a good gateway into the world of new ways of advice and entertainment slash education that happens on platforms like TikTok. It's not just the world of financial advice, but there's, you know, HR and job seeking advice there. There are coding lessons and TikTok stars who teach coding in, you know, 15 second to three minute videos. And we'll include all of those links in the show notes. But that's all we have time for today. And don't forget to subscribe to the Unlearn Project. The Unlearn Project. <laughs> and find out why automation, not just the Roomba, might make your world just a little bit harder. Worse. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. This was The Future This Week, an initiative of the University of Sydney Business School. Sandra Peter is the Director of Sydney Business Insights, and Kai Rima is Professor of Information Technology and Organisation. Connect with us on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Flipboard, and subscribe, like, or leave us a rating wherever you get your podcasts. If you have any weird and wonderful topics for us to discuss, send them to sbi at sydney.edu.au.